You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Vineyard Theater in New York City, this is Theater Uncorked where vineyard artists come together to talk about the process of bringing new works to the stage. I am your host, Kevin Weinhold. The second production of Vineyard Theater's 2018-2019 season is the world premiere of Jeremy O'Harris's play, Daddy, directed by Danya Taymor. Daddy is a co-production between the new group and the Vineyard, reviving a creative partnership that began 15 years ago when the two companies co-produced the world premiere of Avenue Q. Jeremy O'Harris is the recipient of the Vineyard's 2019 Paula Vogel Playwriting Award, and Daddy comes on the heels of his first off-Broadway production, Slave Play, in what the New York Times has called his breakout season. In episode 10, Jeremy and Danya talk about the origins of Daddy, how they have grown as artists since their first meeting two years ago, the differences between working in the theater and other storytelling mediums, and the personal and artistic relationships that shape their work today. Let's listen. I know this story, but it's a really good story. How yeah. did you come to write Daddy? Um, it's so funny. I feel like it's one of those things where it's like now getting to the point where I'm like, how many times am I going to tell this story? And how many people are going to be like, that's not how he told it. Like, cause I feel <laughs> like, I feel like there's like all these details that like come up in different m- moments because memory is weird and you're like, this Absolutely. is the thing. But I think today's version of how yes. I came to this play is that essentially, essentially I was, uh, living in LA. Um, when I first started living in LA, a lot of my friends, uh, a lot of my first like queer friends were uh, living in and around West Hollywood um, because my journey in LA was from like living next to the ocean in Santa Monica because television tells you that like the beach is LA and it's mm-hmm. not um, to like slowly moving more and more east. And so the first move east got me to West Hollywood and I met these really lovely guys who lived between Venice and West Hollywood and they uh, a couple of them knew some guys who dated like much older guys um so we're in our early 20s and we'd go to these like huge mansions and like their partners were like very rarely home or if they were home they were like hidden away in some room Mm -hmm. that we never had to interact with (laughs) like probably like staring down at us with binoculars or something and um you know i i remember i went to a house that had like 
Jasper Johns and the Coonings and like the bedroom where I slept and there was a, another house that had like like these like uh, like an actual um uh what's her name God Louise um uh you know the woman she, the really woman who became like a really famous artist at like 60 like Louise and the, she makes these like mm-hmm. weird sculptures that look like spiders and things yes you know what yes, I'm talking yes, about I do. I'm yes, doing I a do. disservice to myself because like this is a woman whose name I know generally off the top of my tongue uh but anyway she uh like this guy had like one of her sculptures in his front lawn and like he lived like down the street from Leonardo DiCaprio it was like weird stuff like that mm-hmm. so anyway um i and most of those boys uh who had who dated those men were like young blonde like ken doll looking mm-hmm. boys and and i and generally like a lot of their friends like looked like ken dolls as well and i just like navigated that space as like the like black boy who was like uh charismatic and funny and like could actually talk to the person who owned the house about all the art they owned um so like right. i existed <laughs> in like a different way than a lot of other guys there and there were also guys there who could who like look like ken dalton and talk about those things but generally i was the one who was like excited about doing it um and, and at this time were you writing no i told everyone i was a writer right um because okay. it like made it, it like gave me a different um because all those boys were like actors or right. models or and i was like i'm not any of that i'm someone who's serious you can take me seriously i write mm-hmm. i write <laughs> <laughs> um and so anyway um one day i met a a guy who was part of the circle who who like was one of the men who could like who owned a house like this who was um uh who was like a brown person as well like he was like not like one of these older white men and he was really excited by me and he invited me uh, and a bunch of my friends back to his place and we all went over there and it was like really cool and crazy and there was like a Damien Hurst in his living room and like I was like this is crazy um, and he and I had like a really deep conversation about like art and like collecting and like I told him I wanted to collect and I really loved art and um and he like basically asked me out on a date and I got like immediately freaked out. I was like, what? No, like, I can't. And I remember telling my friends all the time, like this guy wanted to be my sugar daddy. And like, I couldn't do that and blah, blah. blah. And then I like, I constantly was like, but why couldn't I? Mm. And I think, um, a part of the impulse to write this play was me like, uh, questioning like what my relationship to like older male figures was, how like for me, older male figures became like, were also like metaphors for like my like complicated relationships to uh institutions Mm -hmm. and how like um and how like i had like because like i had been like sort of like uh released from like the like burden of having an actual father um i had like a complicated relationship with like all of these metaphorical daddies and father figures in my lives like throughout including one that could have like existed for me in like a romantic sense Mm -hmm. so um i think that's why i started writing the play and i had these ideas and then i wrote all of them down as like a sort of like pitch for the mcdowell colony and even though i only had like a 45 minute play as a like sample to send in i got let in Mm -hmm. and i genuinely think it was because like the idea of daddy sounded really interesting Mm -hmm. and so did you write the rest of the play there i wrote so I didn't write for like the first like month of my two month residency, and then like everything came to me. I wrote a really quick. I wrote a first draft, really a really good first draft. That's essentially still the first draft mm-hmm. we have now, 
and then I wrote a really, really bad second act or a, 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 a first draft of the first act that was really good. And then I rushed a really, I rushed an, in it, mm-hmm. an ending and I got back to New York and my best friend Mitchell was like, hey, uh, so this first act is the best first act I've read in a long time. Uh, your second and third act are garbage. Like, please <laughs> like burn those. But if you can finish the rest of the play, I will use, like I will use the money I've been saving up to like rent us a place. We went to Gibney, which is mm-hmm. right up the street. We like had a reading at Gibney. Um, we cast Ronald Pete and uh, Mechie and a bunch of other people who like, mm-hmm. we just sort of heard through the grapevine could do it. Right. And um, we did a reading and like, that's where I got my agent. And that's where I got like people aware of this play in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got good because my friend was like, this play is special, but make the rest of it as special as the first act. Right. And so, yeah, I, I like Mitchell Savello is like the reason. Yeah. For, for the reason that it exists. <laughs> yeah. And so before, before I encountered daddy, you did this reading and had you done another one too? I did two readings. That's right. So yeah. So the second reading is more fraught. <laughs> 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 and this is like a reading that's like so complicated, but like basically, um, there was a miscommunication between Daniel Fish and I that led to me doing a full reading at the collapsible hole for a lot of people. And it's like, I think it like was not, I think that like I like overstayed my welcome in a space that was Daniel's space. Um, but it did also like introduce my work to a lot of people in New York. Mm-hmm. And I think Daniel's maybe forgiven me now. He's going to Broadway. He's yeah, fine. He's great. He's great. He made a great thing. Yeah. I, I hope he'll come see it. Yeah. So the way that I remember being introduced to the play is that a mutual mentor of ours, Evan Cabinet, was telling me about the play. And he was like, I think that you'll really like this play. And then I got an email from Ross, your agent, and, and uh, at the same agency that I'm at. And he was like, Jeremy O'Harris wants to meet you to talk about this play, Daddy. And I was like, oh, right, right, right. This is the thing that Evan was telling me about. And I read the play, and I thought, I understand deeply why this play was sent to me. Um, I remember reading it. My brother, I'm from California, but I'm from Northern California, which is a totally different place. And I remember my brother going to L.A. for the first time and then seeing him after he'd been there and what L.A. brought out in him, some amazing things. And then some some other things that I think L.A. just – this is such a strong word, traffic's in, which is like some superficial things, wealth, um, like how you look, and all these things started to come out. And also, I was in a relationship with somebody much older than me. And I, I think by the time we met, I had just sort of emerged you from that. You just ended it, yeah. I just ended that. And so what was encapsulated in the play about an older artist seeing a younger artist and engendering not only like a romantic relationship, but a sort of yeah, like yes, collection, but also somebody seeing you the way you want to be seen, mm-hmm. especially at first, really spoke to me in the play and what that loosens in you and how it frees you to become the person that you actually want to be, even in a way that your friends and family can't do for you. So that's what really pulled me into the play. And then also just like how it is written scenically. I could see the play. I, I know it's really rare to read a play all the way through without stopping. That's always a good sign when that happens. And not only could I read this play all the way through, but it was like I was watching it. And it was like the set emerged in my head. And when we spoke, you were like, yeah, that's the set. And then when we talked to our set designer, Matt Saunders, and he came back with the design, it was like, yeah, that's the thing that's been in my head this whole time. Do you remember our first, like, date? Like, yes. our, you and I going out? Like, you I also had just Saturdays. quit smoking cigarettes. And, you, <laughs> and we met at Saturdays, and you had a cigarette. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I really want to smoke that right now. But I do remember it. I remember it was so exciting. And I remember 
just talking about the play and being totally in sync about how it should like feel and move and look and this idea that New York hasn't we were joking in rehearsal the other day that the only other like strong LA play New York has seen is other desert cities, which couldn't <laughs> be like less like daddy, but this idea of like trying to bring something Californian to New York was really yeah. exciting from that meeting. I mean, I remember I thought you were so, I t tell you this all the time, but you're like a cool girl. <laughs> and I, I like, love that so you see me this way. I go home and I tell, I tell my boyfriend that and he's like, oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> no, but you're like, you were just so like cool and relaxed. And I think because my plays attempt a type of sort of like, uh, honesty because like all my plays are like looking at something all the plays I've written so far are like looking at something deeply inside of myself that I haven't like looked at yet like mm -hmm. I give myself like a year to think about this part of myself right, right. Um, and to have to have a director that you meet who's also really young in this and being young in this industry is also really fraught because everyone right. like is like hide things about yourself you know what I mean like yes. oh you do that like don't do that there or like if you do that don't do that or don't mention this and like you were so forthcoming and so honest and so like real in that early meeting in a mm -hmm. way that like I like I told Ross after I met you that first time I was like oh I don't need to meet anyone else like she has the thing that I want which is like vulnerability and honesty with right. me which is it's sort of crazy because that's also what like Alessia asked sure. for <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, maybe that's a thing with me. But yeah, I don't know. I think there's something really cool about that. And I wonder, you know, like when we when we when we met back then, like almost two years ago now. I think more. Two, yeah, two and a half. It yeah, was two years this summer. Yeah. So like meet that meeting. We went into that meeting almost like both sort of like anxiously thinking like, oh, I think that like we might be able to get programmed right. Like, next right, season. Right, right, right. You know. Yes. And we were like, let's do it. Like we're gonna, it's gonna happen. Yes. And then it didn't. It didn't happen. It was like a long process. But like, what? How do you think you've changed as a director since then? That's such a good question. I mean, I think, I think I just have, like, uh, in a nuts and bolts sense, I just have skills that mm -hmm. I think I that you get from repetition, from like building the muscle. I was thinking, I did this Denai Guerrero play, Familiar, right before this, and I was like, oh how great to work on a show that is intergenerational, mm -hmm. that has people of my parents' generation and people of my generation, and just the things that I learned, even how those actors work differently. Like somebody who's had 30 years of experience uh, needs direction in a different way from somebody for whose this is their first play, and learning how to give that in different ways. I think in that time I also did another big three-act play and like the challenges, a, big, a new three-act play, the challenges of trying to mount something that has never had really a workshop or production. So I think that I got a lot of muscle strengthened ahead of daddy that I'm glad I did. I mean, it would have been amazing to do it that next year, but mm -hmm. in some ways I feel like I'm just a stronger director than I was in all ways. Um, and I think that another thing that's, I've just gotten better at through repetition and through just meeting like the people I love to work with is working with designers. So mm -hmm. like the design team assembled for daddy, I actually met our set designer, Matt Saunders around the time I, Red Daddy, and I hadn't worked with him until this play, but I knew that there was gonna be something for us, and I had this like charged, amazing connection with him when I first met. So I think that's also something, like who who you know and who you've worked with, who you like to design with, because yeah. there are some great designers whose work I love, but who doesn't work in the same language. Like I sometimes joke that I like all directors to or all designers to be co-directors. Mm -hmm. I even like all actors to be co-directors mm -hmm. in stage management because you just have this like investment in the work when you feel like you have control. Yes. that I love, and I think I felt that way then, but I also feel like I can articulate those things now in a way that I wasn't able to. 
And I also think just in general, it's great to have some distance from like the, the daddy relationship in my life mm-hmm. and be able to see it and not feel torn up about it. Feel like, oh yeah, I'm glad that happened. Um, and I'm glad that it's yeah. over now. Yeah. Um, but to be able to see that um, distance and and be really compassionate and frank for Franklin in his journey through it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel like you're a different person? There's that like famous Marsha Norman quote that like you have to finish a play in two years or else you're no longer the same person who started it. Oh, that's amazing. And you did finish this play in that time, but yeah. now we're going to work on it. It's been longer than that. Yeah. So that person is uh, so different. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like my... I think I met you when I was 27 or 28. That's yeah. different than where I'm at now. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, I mean, hadn't had a play that was like, you know, uh, a critic's pick or like right. hadn't done any of that stuff. And I think that really changes you a lot. Like, I feel like as much as I'd already grown in like the time between the play, like in the two months of like doing my first New York production sure. in this one, which like in my mind when we were going into the season, I was like, they're so close. It'll be like, I'm doing one long production, but no, like the sort of like opening the like previews, opening, closing reviews, all that stuff. Um, definitely adds like three years to your life. Like, yes. you know, or especially, takes three years especially off. the very first time you have to go through it. Cause yeah. it's like, we care so much and it and somebody can judge it in an instant or yes. in however long your play is. Yeah. And it's, it was really fraught. And I think that uh, I learned a lot and I changed a lot and it's like made me more cautious in ways that I'd never thought would be possible. You know what I mean? Like in both good ways and bad ways. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, I think that like um, I talk about this a lot, but like how, you know, part of the goal of part of part of something that I learned to embody was a sort of like, um, inherited recklessness that like I don't inherit from my own family but like mm. that I saw my friends inherit mm-hmm. and so I sort of like stole some of their inheritance and like mm-hmm. I was like I'm gonna learn how to be reckless too yeah. and um, and that recklessness was both fun and exciting and like it like helped me find like different dramaturgies to sure. like understand my psyche but it also um, there's like a cost to being reckless you know what I mean sure. and um, seeing seeing some of that cost like like, you know, seeing, seeing some of the benefits and the cost of that, like, in, like, a real time, in, like, a m- three-week period, basically, mm-hmm. from, like, the opening of my play and the really good reviews to, like, the the closing of my play and some of the, like, complicated things that happen from getting good reviews and, like, sure. also being a, a very um, – I'm, like, a person who's on social media, so, like, being yes. someone who's aware of social media, like, made everything, like – crazy so i think coming into this process like not only am i not 25 any longer but i'm also like not like a novice theater maker right you know so i think that like you know you and i get to have different conversations and i think i would have if we had done this play when i was 28 you know yes um so i'm i think that like i think that's how i've changed but i'm also kind of um excited about that being the energy that i'm coming into this play with because um it is so different from the way I like, I thought that I was going to be able to like come into, um, I thought that if slave play, I mean, daddy was my first play. I'd come into the world as a theater artist who like, um, came in like in a gentle, in a gentle wave, you know, like right. a sort of like smooth crashing wave. And, yeah. but instead like I came in and sort of like a tsunami yes. that's like now, and now like the tsunami sort of over. And now we're in this other thing. We're in this sort of like tropic 
fuck? Yes, <laughs> like, totally. like environment is like, what is that going to mean for everyone? Like who is like, which version of me are people going to think it or, it, and then how, and because I'm such a Gemini as well. It's yes. like, how are people going to see that both of these things exist in my psyche in the same way? Right. And even though some of like, there are overlapping themes, stylistically structurally content wise there are different plays yeah uh, even though there's like some of the same imagery or some of the i mean the language isn't the same in daddy yeah slave play but they're both really powerful pieces so it will be interesting to see if people want to put you in a box they normally do want to put artists in a box um but how this play will won't let, allow them to because it keeps subverting the expectation of the with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Audience. Yeah. And actually, the guy, I mean, it's, I hate to refer to him this way, but because we're talking about daddy, like the, the relationship that I had that's reminiscent of the play, he was an artist too, is an artist. And, I, and something that I come back to, and I think it's really become real inside of myself since that time, but I remember him telling me, the only thing you can do as a director is make something that you like to watch mm. and that you are proud of. And that is something I come back to every time I have to go through the cycle of be being reviewed. And of course I care about reviews because I care about the work I'm making, but I try and to And your make collaborators. Oh my that, gosh. I mean, that's the course. thing for me. It's like, I know that I have two more commissions, but I don't know that like, so, I mean, like some of our actors are like, this is their first time being in a play. And it's like, oh, I want them to be able to be able to walk away from this play being like, oh, yeah, I was in that play and it got really good reviews. And so you can cast me again, you know? Absolutely. And so I, I just come back to that and like that belief in one's own taste and mm -hmm. what one likes. And I feel like that's part of the journey for Franklin in this play, too, is like coming into that knowledge that like what you what you imagine in your head is the thing and what you are is the thing and that you don't have to. Uh, aspire to anything outside of yourself because it lives it actually comes from inside of you so I think about that a lot in terms of like how I am maturing as an artist and how I hope to continue to mature is to sort of not that I don't care about reviews but to sort of like make this cocoon in which work can still be made and really push boundaries mm -hmm. so you're not um, anticipating uh, some kind of like rhetoric from a critic so that that makes you make a different decision. Yeah. Um, I think about that a lot too. I mean, I, I really have, I mean, Brandon Jacob Jenkins has been such a good friend and like, cause I hesitate to call him a mentor because he's like basically our age. I and know, but I, I joke that he like set up my life because he introduced me to Evan cabinet. He are you serious? The, which that like, uh, in a different path of events introduced me to my current boyfriend. Like he just set he set up my whole life. BJJ. That's amazing. Yeah. He's, he's the best. Um, but BJJ said something. He was like, don't let people like, um, uh, rob you of your room to grow. Yeah, something I really, really love because like I can already see the world attempting to rob it, rob me of my room to grow. Absolutely, just like the things that I get sent out for, the questions mm -hmm. people ask me about, like what kind of play, what, like what are you doing next, or like, you know, and like knowing that like maybe I do want to write like a quiet play about like a woman who lives in Nebraska next. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like yeah, how like absolutely. that is like so terrifying, given like how people are, how how I perceive people are looking at me, but like all me not doing that does is rob me of my room to grow, you know? Yes. Um, and I'm, so I'm really excited to keep like al allowing myself to like have a limitless imagination, which is what I felt I had in LA, mm. especially because like I wasn't here. Like I wasn't, 
part of the thing I love about this play is that like it was a play that was birthed in LA, so like that's why it cost too much money, maybe. Right, of course, of <laughs> like, course. It's like it's like oh yeah, like I was imagining that like it might not ever be on a stage. And so I might just borrow a friend's like infinity pool and like sure, do the do play there. The, yeah, yeah. Specific. Yeah. So it's like all of these things, like in LA, there aren't, you aren't in like a really tiny apartment. So like your I feel like your imagination can like move past the walls and into the sky. Uh -huh. Um, which is, I think about that when I look at Alicia Harris's place too, I'm just like, yeah, like she's imagining in LA. You yes. Know? Yes, absolutely. I remember the first time I read Is God Is, it just totally floored me. All the, th all the things that she was, was boldly putting on stage without any sense of like, well, we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. And like, you'll find a way. Mm -hmm. You'll find a way to do all of it, even if you don't have the literal spectacle. Yes. You, you can find a different way to do it. But I think that's so important not to forget that you need to grow and you can't let other people hold you back or else the imagination will get stunted. Yes. You know, speaking of, I'm very interested in what for you, I've been like thinking a lot about like, what were my inspirations? Like who, who do I, who do I think when I think about my plays, like who informed them? Like, who is it for you right now? Like when you look back and you're like these, because like when you were saying that, I started immediately thinking about like how like Alicia's play was like so ex exciting to me. Like when I was leaving, New York or leaving LA because um, mm -hmm. like we became friends like right before I started going to grad school and then like but early on like you know like Tony Kushner like like reading Angels in America I think that's the play I read the most mm. um, and then like uh, I think my language and my relationship to family came from Edward Albee like mm. completely um, because he taught me so much um, I'm also like a film fan so like mm -hmm. Captain Brie was like huge for me. Mm -hmm. um, I like really loved this movie called um, Master or like Fat Girl, oh, wow. which is like all from like the point of view of right, Sarah's pig. Yeah, 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 and like it's it's so good. Uh -huh. And then um, and then like you know like obviously like Harmony Korine, Lars von Trier. Like I I was allowed to watch. My mom couldn't be home all the time when I was little, so like I was allowed to go to the. Um, movie theater movie store and get any movie i wanted and mm -hmm. the guy who worked there was like 19 and was like oh you liked like you liked um dogville when because i rented it when right. i was 11 because it was the worst review movie that year <laughs> and i was like i love this and he was like okay cool like if you like that like i'll give you every movie that's like that um and then i also like like you know shirley caesar like when i like l listen to her music as a kid, like there was no one else who told stories better. Like she yeah. just like painted worlds. So I look at I look at all those things. And I'm like, oh yeah, obviously I would write Daddy. So interesting. Um, I feel like every time anybody asks me this, it's like any anybody that I would say immediately flies out of my head. Okay. Um, but I remember the first time I saw Romeo Castellucci play, and there's something about the way as a director he works as an author. Um, mm. And I know he writes too, but I'm talking about like uh, authorship through staging and, and the way that he makes impossible things happen on stage and he can make something huge. Think about this piece he did at, um, I saw it at Montclair called Go Down Moses, where there was both like huge spectacle of like somebody moving through dimensions into like ancient cave times, but also he had this tiny room that he made in this huge stage where a woman, all you understood is that there was a party outside and she was coming in and going to the bathroom. And slowly you see that she's having, she's giving birth or maybe she's having a miscarriage. And it was so tiny, but it was in this huge space. Wow. And just like those extremes in his work, I saw something not in person where like he drops cars on the stage, like an actual car comes. That's and falls. amazing. 
the first the first play I saw that made me think that plays were worthwhile was Our Town. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is so boring. This is so boring. When will this end? And then Act Three happened, and I thought, holy shit. I just lived the experience of the character. The play made me her, and now I'm looking back on what I saw in a completely different way. And I remember I was in high school, and I had driven. I just turned 16, so I drove a full car of kids to Berkeley Rep, and I couldn't leave for like 45 minutes. Everybody had to wait just for so I could recover from it. Wow. But it totally surprised me. Um, I worked with this um, great teacher I had at Duke, um, and he had us do a Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz play. Mm. Um, and it was called um, House of Desires. And we watched all these. We watched really early Almodovar films. Almodovar's oh. huge influence. Oh, um, my God. Love him. I love um, the the director of um, Rust and Bone and the Beat My Heart Sick. Yes, yes. And, yes. Um, oh, my gosh. I'm doing myself a disservice because yeah. he's, like, my favorite director. Um, and then huge, there was in, in the town I grew up in, there was an old theater where there was a, an organ and they would play old, only American movies I actually realize now in retrospect. But I remember seeing like Casablanca over and over and over again and things wow. of that size. Yeah. Um, I was a huge reader too. So books have always been an, a deep influence, um, on me. Um, and just like the way that you can, the f less like a certain author than like the feeling of forgetting oneself in a book. Mm -hmm. And like the whole, our choreographer has this amazing phrase, he goes, erase the room, erase the room. And that's how I feel reading. That's how I felt when I first read Daddy. But I think that um, even more than like artistic inspiration, there's something about my mom, because she's a um, psychiatrist and people are always like, oh my gosh, what was that like? And she never tried to like psychoanalyze me, but I think that the way that she, and she's also a painter, so the way that she like moves, also English is her second language, so mm -hmm. the way she moves through the world and experiences emotions and also the way she paints is so visceral and so full that I think there's something in like negotiating true emotions and true emotional experiences that really appeals to me in theater yeah. and definitely appeals to me in Daddy. Like how can something be stylistically not realism? How can we not be in mumblecore yet every feeling is real so it's yeah. not sent up it's not camp it's yeah. not any of that it's totally real but there's a different expression we've talked a lot about the favorite and how mm -hmm. it sort of navigates a similar terrain even though like if you watch the favorite and you watch daddy you might not say oh these things are related but they are yorgos please come see this play yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> do you know i ran into yorgos two times during the run of slave play and i was like hey like will you come see slave play he was like He's like, I don't see theater. And oh I was my like, gosh. I was like, will you please see? And then like the second time, he's like, I'm gonna try. And I was like, little, I was like, oh, close this tomorrow. He's like, I'll try. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't come. And I know this is, might be like the not most. I mean, maybe it is fashionable or not fashionable to say this, but Ivo Van Hove, first time, <laughs> yeah. the first time I saw Ivo Van Hove, I, I, I mean, my world was rocked. Who doesn't I was love like, Ivo Van Hove? Do this? How do you do this? Um, Wait, if you had to guess what sign he is, what would you say? <sighs> That's a really good question. A Leo. Good. That's a good pick. I I guessed it correctly. Okay. He's a double Sag. Oh no wonder. Yeah. My mom's a Sag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he has, but he has a Leo energy. But the Sag is the magician. Yes. So that makes sense. Yes, and he like he he has the posture of a Leo. Right. You know, he's totally. like, look at me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I I went to a dinner party with him this year that was like really crazy, and I'm like, I'm still like, how did I get invited to this? Mm -hmm. Um, and I like I've never fangirled so much in my life. He literally was like, you can chill. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah. I remember I, 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 I met Tony Kushner once, um, and I couldn't speak. It's the only time I've met somebody and actually couldn't verbalize words. Oh, my God. Um, but I still remember it. It was amazing. It was amazing. It's really cool to think about how, like, all of that. And this, I didn't ask this question because I was like, I'm going to end it here. I literally just thought about this because, like, I was just like, Tony Kushner is my daddy. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're just like, but all of our influences, like, are, are in a sense, like, our artistic daddies, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of cool to think of, like, Romeo Castellucci or, like, Adrian Kennedy or Fornes, Fornes or, you know, Catherine Brie, Claire Denis, like, how they are, R- Raina Werner Fassbender, like, mm-hmm. our daddies to us, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And now we are introducing a new feature where we ask our social media followers to submit questions for our podcast guests. If you'd like the opportunity to submit a question for consideration on future podcasts, please follow us on social media at Vineyard Theater. Um, should we do one of these, two yes. of these? Let's do two of these. I can't do too many Instagram or Twitter questions. Um but we have one from Rebecca J. Silva at Rebecca J. Silva on Instagram. Um, and her question was, how did the casting process work on this production? Well, we looked, I'll start with um, Andre, or who is the daddy. We looked long and hard to find somebody who could help us make the show happen, but also who could do this part. Mm-hmm. And Scott Elliott at the new group um, is friends with Alan and gave him the play. And Alan read it and loved the play. And that's how we got to him. Ronald Pete, as you heard, has been with this play since before me and since the very first reading. But Ronald is also somebody I've known for the past decade and worked with many times and love. Um, Charlene Woodard (laughs) um, did an early reading of this play before Jeremy and I knew her well. And then she came back into my life this summer. We were at the Ojai Playwrights Festival together. And we had been talking about who should be Zora, who should be Zora, and in that like fateful re-meeting, uh, Charlene came about. And the day that we called her to make her the offer, she was listening to Alan Cummings' audiobook in her car, so it felt like so really crazy. kismet. And um, Hari Neff did a reading of the play and just nailed it and was friends with Jeremy, so that's how I met her. Uh, Tommy Dorfman auditioned and also nailed it. Incredible. Um, and Kayun Kim... Um, I've known of because she went to Juilliard and I've sort of I met her when she was doing a play at Steppenwolf and I was doing Antoinette Nwandu's play Passover there and she came to see that so we connected then and then she wrote me out of the blue when she heard that Daddy was happening and said I want to fly in to audition for this I want to be in this play and that put the idea in my head and then she came to audition and she slayed it yeah it was Um, insane (laughs) and then we have auditioned uh, we auditioned some women for the gospel choir and man some at some time in the future, uh, in some version of this play, it will be done with a twenty or thirty person gospel choir because we saw unbelievable folks for yes. that, and it was really hard to pick the three that we have, but they are amazing. So, kind of a mix of people we didn't know and people we knew all coming together to make this amazing brew. Yeah, um, I'm really impressed by how quickly you were able to name. Excuse me. <laughs> Quickly, you're able to name like every single person in the cast. I would have been like, wait a second, who else is in it? No, I think about them all the time. <laughs> well, and I like... really believe like it helps to have a good director and it helps to have a good script, but literally the only thing you need to do a play is the actor. Yeah. So that is like if 
for people who are starting out directing, like that is where to put your energy is meeting actors yeah. and finding actors that you like to work with and you share a language with because they, they they can make a great play transcendent and they can make a okay play really good mm -hmm. and watchable and yeah. And that's to like the point of like, you know, the like of Alan coming and like us trying to find someone who could make the play happen. Like Donnie and I had both already had discussed the fact that like, you know, for a lot of theaters, it was like a if we wanted to have a pool, it would be a necessity to have like someone who could like encourage investors to give like a pool to a mm. unknown playwright and a like third unknown. or fourth time director yeah. in the city. You Wait, know, yeah, unknown director. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like you know, it was like you know, there like th that doesn't happen. Like th that's not something that happens unless someone who has the like sort of following as like Alan Cumming does comes into your work but we were very willing to be like well i guess we don't have a pool if the if the person that was going to do this wasn't the right spirit and wasn't the actual role and i know that something that was also politically important for me is that like the character not be played by a non-queer actor yes you know like i didn't like i love jeff goldblum but if it had been like jeff goldblum i'm like maybe not you know because yes. like i think that it's like there uh, there are a lot of actors who were very brave in a time when like bravery wasn't rewarded and i don't want to like Dis like disregard their bravery in order to like have Brad Pitt play the daddy in my play. No, and Alan Cumming, I mean, we've been in rehearsal for a week, but man, he is amazing to work with. He's yes. a true creature of the theater and also deeply loves this play. And so that's great. Okay, last question. One more Instagram question from MorgXN Official. Who I do know. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about writing for the theater versus any other medium? I think we can make this a like working in the theater because sure. like I I think Danya should direct a movie and Danya already has absolutely you've already like, in well, a way in, yeah, in a way yeah in a way I don't know stream Passover on <laughs> Amazon Prime right now a beautiful play by Antoine Nwandu that's like one of the two ways I've seen the play um, but it's like directed by Spike Lee and Danya Taymor um, which I think is dope. Um, I don't know, for me, it's like working out in, in different muscles, you know what I mean? And it's like difficult. I mean, I think that I, my plays feel like movies and my movies feel like plays. Mm. And I think that like, I don't know what my TV looks like yet, but I do know that Anya Epstein was the best television teacher, television writing teacher ever. And she came into my class and she taught us a class at Yale and she was very, I don't, I think what I learned in that room is that like, I'm not. I wouldn't be the best suited to be like in a writer's room <laughs> um, unless it was a show that I was running, right. you know, like I think that like I have like big showrunner energy and like, and like very, and I have, and like, that's not, that's not a qualitative thing either. That's like a thing that says something about like the way my brain stru structures mm -hmm. and how certain types of collaborations work for me. Um, so I think that the thing I love about film is the thing I love about film is like how um, how many more tools you have, like you have access to a lot of different tools. Um, but what I love about theater is the possibilities for limitlessness. Like I don't, there there are literally limits to what you can do in a in a an, on in a film. Like I found that out when I was working with Janixa Bravo on the Zola movie, where I was like, "Then in this scene, this is gonna happen." And, like, and Janixa was like, "We are not doing that." And I was like, "What?" And she was like, "That would raise our literally this one scene would raise our budget by 
like forty thousand dollars or something crazy like that. And I was like, "What? Like that doesn't make any sense." She was like, "You can't be in a car for that many scenes, or you can't do X for that many scenes. Like that literally won't get past the line producer." And so learning those things was really interesting, but it also made me really yearn for theater because if I wanted to do a play in, in theater where like every scene takes place on Mars, like there would be no budget attached to right. that. It would just—I well, mean, there would be a budget, but not a budget that's un. I could do that, like you said, like just with actors yes. in a you can rehearsal make, room. Yes, well, and I think that comes back to what I love about theater, and, and I do want to direct movies, so hire me to direct your movies. <laughs> um, but the thing I love about theater is the relation of the audience to the work and also the contract that we enter into where, you know, and it's different levels uh, depending on the play to which the audience will suspend their disbelief for our imagination. And so we... In the theater, you get to dream into something together with the audience in a way that in film, you don't. I also love how ephemeral theater is. There's something um, that won't last about it so that there, it's happening in real time and every night it's different and an exchange happens that can't actually be replicated. It's one of like the most exciting and also nerve-wracking things about being a director is once you kind of hand it over to the actors, it will grow. And so you see like, how well did I plant these seeds? Or how well did I build the foundation of this house? Is it growing in a way that continues what we made? Or is it going elsewhere? And so all that like precarious energy of the theater, I love. I love. That's it for this episode of Theater Uncorked. Thanks to Jeremy O'Harris and Danya Tamor for joining us on the podcast. Theater Uncorked is produced and edited by me, Kevin Weinbold, and created by Eric Pargotch, with help from the Vineyard's associate producer, Ali Sky Bennett, and marketing director, Melissa Pelkey. Thanks to the Vineyard Theater's artistic directors, Douglas Abel and Sarah Stern, and managing director, Suzanne Appel, along with the entire Vineyard staff. Thanks to Peter Lerman for creating the theme music to our podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. And last but not least, a special thanks to you for listening to Theater Uncorked at The Vineyard. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.